You enter the town, weary from your latest quest. A couple of town folks notice you on the way in and, and cheer for you. You've got some time before getting into your next adventure. What do you want to do in the meantime? Um, can I see if I can acquire some nearby land? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to do. A place for a fortress could be a good jumping off point for some, some future adventures. Oh, no, I don't want a fortress. You you, you don't? Well, what do you need the land for, then? Well, I was thinking I would start with some asparagus. Uh, asparagus? And if that did well, I could expand to carrots, potatoes, maybe even corn. Hold, 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 hold on. You, you know that asparagus takes three years to grow, right? Oh, yeah, but we have time. We could even look at getting some livestock during that time. This, this seems like a lot of stuff. When are you going to have time for adventuring? Adventuring? Farming is the adventure now. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about implementing downtime activities into your campaign. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And as we mentioned, we are talking about downtime activities, but but before we jump in, let's talk about maybe what actually is downtime. And to start, I think we really have to understand that your characters in your game are typically not going directly from adventure to adventure to adventure. Though admittedly in some of my games, because of how things tie in together, that does happen. But there's always going to be some sort of break. Even if they are going from adventure to adventure, they may have weeks where they're waiting for transport or as recently in my game, or they had a couple weeks where they were waiting for a special weapon to be created. So there's always going to be a chance for downtime, even if you do do that adventure to adventure, right? Absolutely. Not to mention the fact that players generally take damage when they're out um, fighting the good fight, you know, or the bad fight, depending on if you're running an evil campaign. Uh, But uh, you take damage and and you require healing time, right? Like if you get terribly injured or terribly sick from diseases from certain dungeon creatures, um, you're going to need to recoup from that. And that just not always is that immediately resolved with magic. Yeah. And uh, and additionally, during that that time, uh, if they aren't in the state where they have to ha- have to recuperate, they could do things like um, work on projects potentially. Um, and uh, by by incorporating downtime into your into your game, having it not just be like, "Hey, you got here, you're going to the next adventure right right away," you do give your players some agency on how they want to develop their character. Um, in a way that isn't specifically towards towards the game. Uh, it kind of gives them a little bit more of a background, more well-rounded character, right? And it helps your world feel more fleshed out, more living, because if all they're ever doing is hopping dungeon to dungeon, fighting things, you don't really get a sense of, of like a, a real world thing. But mm-hmm. you also have to keep in mind that the same as traveling can get a little bit... Um, exhaustive you know if you describe every mile of a 400 mile journey to a mountain uh, people aren't gonna really enjoy that and well some people might and the same thing will happen with downtime is uh, you'll have some people who just uh, aren't gonna be about it and mm-hmm. some people who will thrive in uh, in that sort of setting yeah so as we as we say so frequently on the show everybody keep your players in mind whether when you determine uh, whether and to what extent you're going to implement downtime 
activities into your game because some people just they they won't know what they want to do and it'll be more stressful than anything else mm-hmm. and some of them just just won't like it it's like I, well everybody's got a murder hobo or two kicking around and uh if you let them loose in a, in a town it's like oh you can just hang out in this town and do stuff well pretty soon they're just going to start killing your townspeople <laughs> In my downtime, I want to murder the populace. (laughs) (laughs) This will be my town. (laughs) And only mine. (laughs) All right. So that's that's a little bit of of what downtime activities are and and why to maybe implement or not implement them in your game. Um, Let's jump over to a couple of things that we need to really make sure that you understand or that we understand before we jump into... um, implementing those downtime activities. And I think the big, big, big thing to understand is that if you're going to implement downtime activities, you, I, I think it makes sense to also leverage, at least for the periods of time where you have downtime, uh, to leverage those uh, living expenses that, that are mentioned in, in both Pathfinder and, and D&D systems, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with D and D five e, because um, there's not as much of a magic item purchasing um, mechanic going there, mm-hmm. and so a lot of your players' money—well, not a lot of it—you can do a lot of other things with it, but but a lot of the purpose to having money is for general living expenses, the same as it is with real life. That's why I have money, is so I can buy food and pay for my house, and the same for your adventures. Absolutely, um, and and for those that haven't really looked at the living expenses yet. There, there is, yeah, well, I think it's actually called lifestyle expenses, um, um, even though I said living expenses before. <laughs> but if you look in the player's handbook or in Pathfinder, the core rulebook, there is a section where it does talk about lifestyle expenses and players can choose what kind of lifestyle that they want to live. And that will determine on a, on a monthly or on a daily basis um, what it costs to live. So... Uh, if you live in a wretched uh, living lifestyle, uh, you don't pay anything because, well, you're living in the gutter pretty much, and there's not a cost <laughs> to doing that necessarily. Um, but there's there's a number of other different types of lifestyles from poor, modest, comfortable, wealthy, uh, aristocratic, and each one of them has a it is, it's an increasing scale of money that you need per day to live in that lifestyle, and and so the lifestyle is going to determine kind of what your what your living arrangements are, how you eat, how you dress, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it will also affect uh, what kind of downtime things are going to kind of happen to you. Because if you're living an uh, aristocratic lifestyle, chances are you might be going to, you know, fancy balls, mm-hmm. uh, having parties. But if you're, you know, living in the sewers, uh, you, you're probably going to get robbed for that little bit of money that you do have. Yeah, and so if you're if you're looking at implementing downtime and and the players have chosen something like the uh, the wretched, squalid, poor lifestyle, you might want to decide to say, all right, well, based upon this, um, for the time period that that you're going to be having downtime, there's going to be a certain percentage per day or per week that um, that you might get robbed and you won't even know it. And because you're just in that element already. And then once all the downtime's over, you say, yeah, well, you got through the downtime, but you, uh, you lost 50 gold because, uh, because you were sleeping in the gutter and people just walked up and took it from you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Pickpocket, like pickpocketing. If, if you're not, uh, 
hitting those perception checks, yeah, they're just they're just walking away with your money. I said not to mention someone could train a rat, just run up and steal your money in the sewer. <laughs> Nobody notices the rat when you're living in the sewer already. <laughs> um and, and when you're talking about over a, a longer period of time, then you may not even pair it with a perception check. You may just roll percentile and, and be like, yeah, you got robbed uh, because it beat this percentile. And the longer that it is and the worse the condition you're living in, the lower that number has to be that has to be hit for you to be robbed. Absolutely. Like, because you've got, you've got entire groups of thieves um, would be running around and they're going to know how to set up distractions and, and steal from you. And yep. uh, so as much as we're still talking about the crime thing, um, when you're living in like the high end and you're going to balls and stuff, you could run into somebody, like say you're at a special event or whatever, and uh, you can have encounters where they run into somebody who's going to be able to improve their station or mm -hmm. give them some really interesting or helpful information, stuff like that. Yep. And, and, and to that, it could also be a jumping point. Honestly, both of these... Uh, whether you're in, in the poor end or the wealthy end, both of them could give you as the DM uh, jumping off points for different types of, uh, of story hooks. So if you're in the wealthy, you could make a make friends with a wealthy benefactor who, who asks you to help him out with a, with a tricky situation. Um, if you're in the low end, maybe, Maybe uh, maybe you get robbed enough that you want to. <laughs> the players decide that they want to rid the town of of crime or, or whatever. Or it could be something where where um, uh, one of the local guilds or 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 something like that sees promise in these people, even though they're they're super poor, and tries to recruit them or something like that. So there's a there's there's definitely some opportunity based upon the lifestyle chosen to kind of introduce different types of stories there too mm -hmm. you can even have some fun with it if you have uh people in your party like some people living squalid and some people are arist aristocratic you could have that problem that the benefactor was having be your slummy friends <laughs> <laughs> the, the gutters outside of my my estate have been clogged by the, this riffraff please clean the clean them out <laughs> You show up and find it's your friends. It's like, oh, oh that's awkward. <laughs> and that plays into one of the other effects of, of lifestyle is that it can affect how people look at you, other NPCs, uh, maybe even your party, if they're hired to, to clear out the riffraff. Um, <laughs> it, 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 as the DM, it's important to understand how the players choose to live because you can really um, modify those NPC interactions like, oh, you smell, I get out of my sight, you you cur, or, or something like that, um, based upon the fact that they live somewhere that they have no access to clean water or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to affect the cost, the general cost. Because I know that there's like the general living or not lifestyle expenses, which we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. But if you are... Uh, living squalid. Well, maybe you might want to pay a silver to you know buy a bar of soap and get clean every once in a while. But if you're um, going to all these like fancy parties and stuff, uh, if you continue to show up in the same fancy suit, 
that's going to have an impact on you as well. You're going to be expected to buy new fancy clothes and stuff like that, which is going to generally increase uh, your costs of living um, while you're participating in in different downtime activities. Yep. Um, and, and really, and we'll get into this in a second, when when players choose those uh, those activities that they want to do during downtime, the activity itself can have an effect. Uh, especially if you're talking about D and D roles, can have an effect on on um, what your lifestyle uh, choice costs. We uh, may even e- enable you to go into a higher lifestyle. Uh, it could also make it cost more because you're doing these things in addition to whatever your lifestyle is. So. And part of the reason that we're so focusing so much on the lifestyle and the lifestyle costs right now is because it really does come into play when you talk about downtime, especially in the uh, in the five E rules um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You have your party sitting around for too long. Pretty soon they run out of money. Well, guess who's got to go adventuring again? Yep. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what uh, what you can do during downtime. And before we get into this conversation, I just want to make sure that we understand, um, as, as I run games in Pathfinder and Danielle runs things in D&D, we are going to try and address some from each right now. And and they do provide some different guidance from, for downtime between systems. Uh, but you can really merge those game rules not too terribly difficult. Um, and, and I know Danielle, I think you said that you, you actually got some Pathfinder, um, um, documentation just so that you could leverage some of the downtime rules in, in your D and D game. Am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely. When I looked at the, the Pathfinder book and I saw all of the stuff that it had for downtime and for construction, I was, I was amazed at the rule set and I bought it and immediately incorporated it into D&D. I think that it's, they did a really good job on it. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening at home and, and you hear something that we say about one system or the other, and you're like, man, I wish I had that. Well, just implement it in your system. The, 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 the rules are, are, open enough that, that you can do that you might have to tweak it a little bit but it's not i mean it's not you're not restricted to one or the other you can you can have both if you want to well absolutely we all add homebrew stuff anyways right yeah. and so it's just a matter of tweaking it slightly yep so um to kick off let's start with talking about some of the 5e D um downtime activities that can be done and to do that i'm going to hand it off to you danielle all right, so one of the first things that's listed for uh, D&D downtime activities, or I guess probably the most common thing that people do, mm-hmm. is crafting or creating non-magical items, very specifically the non-magical items. Um, so if you have to have a proficiency with the tool set that you need for whatever it is you're crafting, um, and for every day of crafting, you can create five gold pieces worth of value, Um so you you can I sometimes I'll have people roll for their crafting um, mm-hmm. in a day and depending on what that roll results uh, if it's a really high roll I'll make it you know a, a, it'll be a better product that they've made sometimes on a nat twenty I will I will boost their proficiency kind of well I I used to do that in three point five right so in three point five if somebody rolled a nat twenty I would give them a plus one for the next. 24 hours because they figured out this neat folding skill on the leather kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can give them advantage on your next roll, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so you can make it so that they're, you know, earning a little bit of gold, crafting non-magical items, either for themselves, their party, or for sale. 
the other thing to to bring up there is if if the entire party has the same goal to create something maybe maybe all five people in the party are like yeah we want to make this awesome suit of armor so that so that our 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 paladin can wage into battle and just stand in front of us and block all the shots or whatever <laughs> um uh, they can also add in their efforts to increase that daily value by five gold per per party member that participates in the crafting activity. Again, they do have to have proficiency with those tools, but um, it could make it can make the crafting take a lot less time as well. Oh yeah, more many hands make light work. Yeah. Um, and if if you are crafting stuff to sell, uh, you can reduce the cost of your of your. Um, modest lifestyle or your comfortable lifestyle, um, depending on what it is you're selling, how well you're doing, stuff like that. Yep. And the next thing that you can do as a uh, as a as a downtime activity is just practicing a profession. So our our characters all have skills that they that they have um, uh, abilities in and are, are typically better than your average uh, townsfolk. So you could just say, "Hey, I, I'm gonna." I'm going to help out here, um, um, whatever it may be. And by doing this, you, you can kind of basically um, live a modest life, lifestyle at, at no cost because you're, you're doing these things and bringing in money and stuff like that. Um, and then based upon if you're a member of a guild or if you have performance proficiency, you can reduce that, that living cost overall. And now it's important to note that by doing this, you're not necessarily... Um, changing your character's outlook or 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 doing anything that builds on character necessarily um if you look at it at face value but as a dm you could you could also kind of have this thing where by doing these uh by practicing this profession maybe they gain a reputation in town or maybe they they do a job for the right person um that that allows them to to expand their characters in different ways. Again, as the DM, that's really up to you. Um, from a player choice, this is really just, hey, I, I want to reduce the cost of this downtime. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just work during this time, kind of thing. And keep in mind, even if a player doesn't have a profession, so some people just don't want them on their character. Every mm-hmm. one of your characters still is an adventurer, so they have experience with adventuring, finding things, maybe sleuthing, definitely being bodyguards, right? Yep. So they can they can almost always uh, find work uh, guarding something, you know? That's always an option. Yep, absolutely. And uh, next on the list that they could do is, is simply, as Danielle mentioned earlier, uh, recuperate from their adventures, uh, recovering from a debilitating injury, a disease poison um this one is fairly self-explanatory i don't know if we need to go into a whole lot of detail here but i mean if you if you have certain um certain uh a curse or or something like that you could you could have players roll their constitution save every predefined period of time and and determine how they do on their on their recuperating uh downtime activity and that could make it where the activity can go shorter than planned or longer than planned based upon how well they, uh, quote-unquote, recuperate. Yeah, we, we haven't been able to go back out of venturing. Joe is still sick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, another another big one, um, an interesting one, I guess, mm-hmm. is uh, researching. You can have your players research. Uh, so this will allow your players to gain insight into 
mysteries or or histories, you know, whatever whatever it is that they're looking up, you know, in the library in the tomes and stuff like that. Uh, but see, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. So as a DM, you have to decide, um, and you have if you are willing to create. <laughs> this information that they might find. So if they say, well, I want to spend the next two weeks because I got two weeks of downtime. I want to spend that researching and look up all of this history and all this stuff. Well, I, I know everybody who's DM'd before is already picturing all of this thinking and writing and planning <laughs> and tying into the story that they're going to have to do because somebody is, is looking for a giant info dump. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> and, and if you if the player says, "Hey, I want to spend my time for the next two weeks researching," then you, as the DM, need to to be like to really think about it and be like, "Am I going to have enough information for them to make this two weeks worthwhile?" And if you're if you're not, if you just don't have the time, you're not willing to make the effort, whatever, you need to tell them before they take that that step to to do research because. Spending two weeks and the money that's required to do that and everything, um, um, and then finding that finding out nothing is uh, <laughs> is pretty much a bummer for the players. And yes, research sometimes leads to nothing, but but you as the DM, you need to be be prepared to understand where what effort you're willing to take, and if there's just no information to be had, just letting them know, hey. Um, I appreciate that you're wanting to research this, but there's there's no place in town for you to do that research or, or whatever makes the most sense for you to, to tell them that. Mm-hmm. It's like the library only has three books that aren't about bugs. You've already read them all. <laughs> you can't find any more. So you've only actually researched for three days. You know? Yep. And, uh, and, then, and then you can just kind of like push them away from it in that way where it's still kind of like a story, especially if they're in a small town, if they're in like a big city and you want to do it in a, like a storyline way, you could, you could always just have the librarian kick them out. Um, libraries aren't public in, or likely aren't public institutions back in the medieval days. They were owned by somebody and they could mm-hmm. just be like, no, go away. I don't like you. So you can, <laughs> you can just <laughs> remove them that way. Yeah, but if you do decide to go forward with this and and you're like I've got this great history that I've already planned out and they just they've only scraped the surface so far, so this is an opportunity for them to learn more, then go forward with it. And this can be an awesome way to seed additional storylines like oh hey guys, when I when I was doing my research for the past few weeks, I found out about this lost artifact and and it does this and this and this and the last place it was seen was here. I think we should go check it out and see if it's there. And the nice thing about that is is you can kind of lay out what they found in a in a way that you're not pushing any sort of um, agenda. And then they can decide what they want to pursue. So it, it avoids some of that railroadiness that can kind of come when you're when you're specifically presenting a story hook and being like, hey, you need to go take this. You need to go take this. Um, <laughs> in, in this way, they get to look at the information and decide what's important to them and say, all right, let's go look at that. And yeah, you might be able to help nudge them by providing more information on this than that. But uh, but it's still their choice in the end. Mm, also a great way to deliver information that they have happily skipped over for the last six months. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, so they can also use, aside from the research, which is 
uh, amazing if you like if you are willing to put the time in or if you have some information to hand out and you have a player who wants to do research that's amazing and it's super helpful uh but another thing that they can do is training uh so your party members <clears throat> can basically decide to go training and to like learn a new language or profici- proficiency with a new set of tools maybe they want to go help their friends work on this great set of armor for the paladin uh, but they're the only person who doesn't know how to use the tools so they're just going to go find a trainer so that they can join the rest of the party in however long it takes yeah and and if you are if you have players that are interested in training there is a very good chance that they're going to want to 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 train in something that is not a new language and not and not a new set of tools um you can also have them train in, in new proficiencies or if they wanted to learn a completely new skill that was not listed as one of the skills that are out there, you could, uh, you could, you could, as long as you're doing it in a way that doesn't completely break their character, um, break, but meaning make them super all powerful, omnipotent being or whatever, um, <laughs> then you, you can decide that, Hey, I'm going to allow you to train that. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody wants to learn, um, how to brew beer, uh, just as an example, I mean, I don't see anything that would really be game breaking for that. And it's something that they could decide to use later if they wanted to establish a business, for instance. Mm-hmm. You do, you do have to be careful with that, that game breaking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> People, I had one person who, who kept casually wanting to learn these different skills and they all seemed a little bit odd to me, but nothing that really stood out as game breaking. <laughs> but when you combined all of the skills together it was to be able to make massive quantities of TNT all at the same time. And <laughs> and now my powers combine. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what turned out to be tiny little non-game-breaking things turned into something that just kind of wrecked everything. Yep. And, and so... If if you if you have granted the ability to do these um, do these new skills and didn't realize that they were going to try and combine them into something else, then a potential out again we don't want to totally break with the with the what we've been allowing the player to do all this time but a potential out would be like okay well great i understand that you want to do that however you don't have the necessary training to combine all these skills together to do that thing and you might be able to do it but you would need to find uh, a master that uh, that could teach you those things and that could lead to a totally different quest and and whether that master exists or not is up to you as the dm but <laughs> but you do have some if you've gone down that path where you've you've allowed these three or four things before because they all seemed on their own to not be game breaking but now they're trying to combine them together that is an option that you have as a dm to not necessarily say no but to say um yes and you have to do these things in order to to combine those together Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that solution. I ended up going with uh, supply and demand issues. I was mm-hmm. like, well, you can't buy this here, so you can't do that. <laughs> right. And uh, and that I like yours better because then you can tie that into a whole whole adventure. But that being said, as far as finding finding a master, um, when you do go and if your players want to train in something, paying a trainer. Uh, costs one gold piece per day uh for the specialist and it can cost more than that if it's if it's like a like a 
a higher end specialist. So if you're just finding somebody who's going to teach you how to blacksmith, yeah, that's going to be like one gold piece a day. Um, maybe even cheaper if they're a really, really bad blacksmith and they're just happy to have <laughs> someone to talk to them. You know, but uh, if you're looking for somebody who can create, you know, like level 20 magical items, you're finding like the most all-powerful wizard in, in, in the land. He's not just going to be like, okay, one GP a day and I'll train you how to be the best dude ever. <laughs> and and the other thing to, to keep in mind, because the one gold piece a day is, is good guidance to keep in mind, but you also need to understand how long it is going to take to pick up a skill. Um now, guidance in the player's handbook says about 250 days, but really you as the DM can decide, wow, this is a niche skill that requires a lot of a lot of focus and a lot of training on it. So it may be more than that. Or this is a really simple skill that, that you've already been doing things that apply to it. And, uh, and yeah, maybe it takes 100 days instead. But understanding what the timeline is for that character is, is very important because first off, the rest of the party may not be willing to wait 250 days or 500 days or whatever it is. So they may have to do training in parts. And by doing it in parts, you have to decide, well, does doing it in parts make it take much longer? Because then you have to review some of the stuff when you get back and all. There's a lot of questions that you can go down a rabbit hole with this. But the, the key thing here is just making sure that you understand for you what the timeline is going to be so that you can communicate that to the players. Mm-hmm. It's very important to kind of have a good idea and, and be upfront with people about how long this is going to take. Because if somebody thinks it's like, oh, okay, I'll spend today while my party's doing this, I want to go and learn this new skill, uh, let them know that it's how long it's going to take, right? Right. Because yep. I've had situations where somebody's like, okay, well, I'm going to go learn. Well, it wasn't this particular thing, but they're like, I'm going to go learn this. And uh, it's like, well, do you want to come back to your party every night. They're like, no, no, I'll just go and learn and then I'll be back when I'm done. And without telling them, they're like, okay, well, your character just left for a year. <laughs> it's like, well, I thought it would be like two weeks. <laughs> it's like, nope, you're no longer part of our game. Go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you're really skilled in this new skill. <laughs> yeah, you can come back, you know, after the new year. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by levels, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, switching gears to talk a little bit about Pathfinder, uh, because we, we, we did mention that earlier. Pathfinder, so those were, what we just talked about were really the items that are included in D&D, um, as those downtime activities. Now, you as the DM can can allow different things depending upon what the what the player asks to do, um, or you can look at Pathfinder because Pathfinder has a much longer and much more granular granular list of downtime activities. And we're we're 
we could have like probably three episodes strictly talking about the downtime activities in Pathfinder just because there's so many and there's also a lot of guidance on how to implement them as far as um, it's not just not just a matter of time and money. There's also other things. And we'll talk about those here in a minute. Actually, we'll talk about those right now uh, <laughs> because a lot of the activities could could require using goods that, that you, you create or acquire, uh, influence that you might have, uh, labor itself, and magic. And, and it all relies upon this concept of, of build points. Um, and those build points come from, if I remember correctly, come from each of those four types of categories. And within the rules, there's, uh, again, uh, several pages that talk about here is, if you want to do these types of things, here's the kind of uh, inputs you need. Here's what the outputs are. Um, and it's, it's really robust. It's very cool to look through. Yes, it's, it's explained beautifully. And it's, and it's detailed so nicely. For somebody who doesn't really know what to do with downtime, if you, if you go through, I'm pretty sure that uh, you can even just look it up online. Uh, you don't even need to buy the book. If I pretty sure yep um, there's a take- because they they use the open source gaming license if you go to d20pfsrd.com and you can search for downtime activities there or just search for pathfinder 1e downtime activities and it'll be one of the first things on that list yeah and you can go through the entire section and it is it is really amazing what they've done with it there's so many options and the best part is is that it's explained Everything yep. is broken down into if this, then this, if this, then this. And no matter what your players want to do, you can find that heading in there. Now, keep in mind that it is explained very well, but it does take some time to read through. So mm-hmm. if you're planning on doing downtime activities in your game, set aside some time before the game to read through it. Don't just say, I'm going to do this at the game and I'll, I'll turn to this page and read a couple of lines and we'll be good to go. You, you do need to <laughs> dedicate some time to, to reading through this documentation to really understand how it's implemented in, in that system. Mm-hmm. Plus being able to explain it to your party at the table when they, because especially if you've never done real that much downtime stuff at your table and you say, hey, everybody, you've got two weeks of downtime. That's a really good way to get a deer in the headlights look from an entire table worth of players who've never had downtime before. Yep. And they all look at you like, so it's two weeks in the future then? It's like, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but just to, to kind of talk about some of the things that, that, are included in downtime just to give listeners who may not have experience with the with the Pathfinder downtime rules some visibility into how granular we're talking about. Um, the the first one that really is on that list is adding spells to your spellbook. So a spellcaster can can spend a day to copy up to eight spells into their into their spellbook, but you you can even get more granular than that. Uh, you can you can. Uh, uh, work on an alibi. You can work on blackmail or coerce pe- people. So uh, alibi could be like disrupting an ongoing investigation where blackmail is spending time to learn secrets about somebody. Um, and then uh, then coercing would be browbeating a person. And these things require skill checks. But they are, again, just to give you an example of how granular you can get with some of the offerings on the downtime within, within the Pathfinder, uh, Pathfinder system. Yeah, there's a lot of options. And my absolute favorite option, the reason actually why I went and bought the physical book itself, mm-hmm. is to construct buildings. Yes, absolutely. 
It is the best. The The amount of detail that they put into that, it's like if you want to add an apiary to your building, this is what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is a... The, the constructing a building is is a really cool thing to offer your players because it gives them the opportunity to set up um, that base of operations, whether that base is a fortress like we kind of talked about in the intro skit or or maybe even a farm um, <laughs> or, or it could be a, a business. Um, maybe maybe they want to open a tavern or or shop of some sort in a town Uh all of these things are covered within uh, within those rules on on how to build stuff. And if you wanted to do a business, they have they have guidance in the downtime activities for how to handle that business and how to determine how much uh, revenue it's generating, stuff like that. Again, it's very detailed. So if your players are into that level of detail, it's a it's a great thing to look at, even if you're running a a D and D campaign. Oh, it is it is beautiful if your players start to if your players want to do stuff like this i i 100 percent recommend looking up the pathfinder downtime stuff with these with these buildings and constructing and running businesses every you don't have to think of anything it's already somebody's already done it they've produced it it works it's nice Yep, and there's there's a number of different activities uh, with relationship to the business that they have in there, from from promoting the business to earning capital, uh, or even just just uh, managing that business to help it help it earn more money. There's there's just so much stuff. It, it's like I said, this is something that we could probably talk about for <laughs> for multiple episodes. Um, but moving on, just some of the other activities. Uh, again, getting down to that granularity. Uh, one of them is street violence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that's in there that is not included, that I was a little bit surprised is not included in the D&D rules, is crafting a magical item. There are uh, guidelines for how to do that. And I, I, I don't know if that's just because the 5e system relies less on magical items or, or what, but, uh, but that's something that's over here in Pathfinder as well. Yes, it, that is that is very much a, a 5e thing. If you go through the 3.5 books, there mm-hmm. is an amazing rule set for crafting magical items. Um, it gets pretty crunchy with the math, uh, but I used to use it all the time. I predominantly ran 3.5, obviously, until 5 came out. Uh, so, yeah, they took it out with the 5e, and now there's... I haven't really found much as far as... Uh, I don't like as far as your players crafting magical items. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pretty much got to go find someone who's been doing this for a while in order to to get it done. Yeah, and and as as we mentioned before, if you wanted to look this up online, uh, check out D twenty pfsrd.com uh, if you prefer hard copy books I, I know a lot of times I prefer hard copy books uh, the Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign Guide is uh, is uh, um, is basically the hard copy of that and allows you to, to see that in hard copy format so just a couple places to look if, if this is of interest to you uh, I, I do recommend it I've got I've got the hard copy but I also use the online as well just depending upon where I'm at yeah, and I I use both, and I run D and D, or yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, not Pathfinder. But it is it's an amazing resource. <laughs> it's just <Yep>. so good. <laughs> um. So yeah. So regardless of the system, so uh, it really doesn't matter what system you're running. As the dungeon master, game master, you have the opportunity to give your players more options for downtime activities based on your own ideas or things that they want to do. Um, so if they want to start their own little 
clubhouse or something like that mm-hmm. you know you can you can modify homebrew do so many options to get your players what they want uh, as long as you're being careful that it's not going to have game-breaking consequences and if it does start to have game-breaking consequences um me, you know maybe a dragon comes and didn't you know, <laughs> wipes <on> it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean going back to our our intro skit if you had players that really wanted to run a farm and if you as the dm were okay with that again this is kind of a <laughs> you need buy-in from everybody you could completely switch up your game and have it be Farmville D&D style or something <laughs> like that. But you do have to make sure everybody's on board with that. And you as the DM are, are part of that everyone. So if if the, if you've got some people that are really obviously going that direction and you're not into it or several other players aren't into it, it's probably a time for conversation to say, hey, look, I, I know this is of interest to you, but really not something we're going to get into in this game. Mm-hmm. And you can always, depending on what they, well, it doesn't matter what they choose to do. You can always add a call to action into any downtime activity. If you have a, a group of players or a player who is locked into a downtime activity and they're just like not willing to give it up. So say with our farming example, uh, you could have somebody out plowing the back 40 and accidentally dig up an artifact or open a jar that releases an evil or yep. something, some sort of call to action to get them back into adventure mode. Um, you can always just throw, just seed that right in there. Yeah, and and we didn't mention this when we were talking about building, but one of the one of the cool things about about having your players have a building, regardless of what that building is, is it is an anchor for them. Um, and I mean that in a couple of ways. It's an anchor because it does keep them in the same area generally because they want to support their business, but it can also drag them down. <laughs> um, because if if certain things happen to that business, they have to respond in a certain way. Uh, if, if a criminal element starts threatening the business or the government officials start uh, start coming down on them with taxes or whatever, or a pending, an impending attack um, happen, or is, is going to happen, they pretty much have to respond or they are going to lose their, their business, their, their property, whatever it is. So it, it is a, it's, it can be something that takes a lot of time away from your game, but it also can be something that is very easy to um, create new hooks to get them to get away from that property and go adventuring again. Yeah, imagine coming back to your business that you started and find out like the mafia took it over while you were gone. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, we got stuff to do. Yeah. So um, let's talk about maybe a couple of other options for downtime activities. And and the first one is one that I have done a little bit of with, with my group. Um, if your downtime activity also includes taking time off from regular sessions, maybe you're on a break from the game for a month or two uh, because people have travel plans or, or whatever, um, you can still have some downtime activities uh, where you pursue individual storylines where Maybe um, maybe the rogue of the party had a goal to join the Thieves Guild, and it was never something that you put into the, the main story because you didn't want everybody to be like sitting around while they had these conversations with Thieves Guild members and being bored. Um, this gives you the opportunity to do... Um, I, I've done this uh, with uh, Play by Post, and Play by Post where you're using something like Discord or uh, SMS messages or Facebook Messenger, anywhere thing you can send messages back and forth. 
Um, I did it via play by post where I had a, a player that was missing because of health reasons for a, for a session and I wanted her to get caught up to speed. So I did play by post to kind of have her, her own little individual adventure to explain why she was gone and also to pursue a storyline related to her character. Um, and it wasn't specific downtime, but you can do the same thing with downtime activities. Mm-hmm. I love I love doing stuff like that where if you have a player who's going to be gone for more than one or two sessions or whatever, um, you can always do like little side quests for them if they're up for it. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep them, you know, leveled with the party. Keep them engaged with the party, and uh, especially when they're missing it because of something that's um, unfortunate, like being stuck in the hospital or something. Uh, it gives them a way to kind of like keep tied in, and then they don't feel like they're missing out so much. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the other kind of thing to talk about is if you have um, if you have the party and, and the party says that they have this goal, whatever it may be, that, that doesn't necessarily match up to any of those things, whether in the D&D list or the Pathfinder list, maybe it involves um, um, like exploring the town for something or tracking down, <laughs> tracking down the best coffee restaurants in the metropolis of Haldonia or whatever. Um, <laughs> you can, you can have them define what that goal is and, Rather than like having a granular back and forth of like, hey, you went to this coffee shop and you rated it a three. What do you want to do now? And like have them have have them have to do that. You can basically say, what's your overall goal for this downtime? All right. You want to find the best coffee restaurant or rank all the coffee re- coffee shops in, in town. Um, all right. Well, then then you can have them maybe even do some initial roles uh, and just record what those roles are. And then develop a narrative of what happened during that downtime by the time you get to the next session. And then you can explain what happened and where they were successful and where they failed, uh, again, based upon those roles. So they still have some uh, influence into what happened because they had those roles. But at the same time, you're not spending a lot of time on something that that maybe isn't all that exciting from a, from a game time spent, but it's still something they were interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Helps keep them tied in and and living with the game. Yep. And then um, one thing that that uh, that Felicia, our previous ho- co-host, did, uh, she didn't necessarily have it as downtime, but anytime your characters entered a, a city, she would just have you at the beginning of the day, game. You define what what additional side work you'd want to do. And when you entered a town, you would you would roll a d20, and you would just get that that many gold pieces as a as like your side hustle for the time that you were in the town. So it, it wasn't really a a big portion of the game, but it was still like a your your character has some some more more roundedness to it because you've got this profession that you do on the side when you go into towns. Yeah, it's it's. It's an important thing, I think, uh, as far as your characters go. Because if you if you just have them say, uh, okay, so you walk into the town, you offload all your goods, everybody divides one thousand gold pieces. That's four forty four to you, and four forty four to you, and two twenty eight to you, because whatever. And uh, all right, and send it. So then the mayor comes up to you and says, "You must leave immediately. We have an adventure for you." And everybody runs away. It's, <laughs> it, you know, 
um, you lose a lot of the believability that they are existing in this world. They're a part of this world. Even something as simple as like what you said with Felicia, they go into town, uh, they're doing roles for their occupation, their side hustles, they're getting some money. It gets them even just that little bit more involved. It shows that there is life happening here. There is something happening here. Yeah. I And, and, and just that little bit can get buy-in from some players where maybe they weren't bought in before. I, and it seems silly that just that little bit could do it, but I, I've seen it happen where where somebody wasn't all, all, all in on the game and you had this brief period of downtime activities and, and suddenly they were excited about their character and the things that they were doing uh, because they weren't just going and fighting monsters. They were, they were, they were doing these other things on the side uh, that they were excited about. Mm-hmm. It's it's not every player just wants to run around and uh, and hunt monsters. You know, yep. like some people, they they might not even realize that this is kind of what they're after. Uh, they could be like, oh yeah, well let's go into a dungeon and slay dragons, and they're just kind of meh about it. But then they get to town and and they have this instance, this small instance of role playing, and all of a sudden they're sold on it. Uh, when before they were like, no, role playing stupid, and then <laughs> an hour later they're like. Good morning, Gavna, and it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I think that's primarily what we wanted to talk about. Unless you had anything else you wanted to, to any other bits of knowledge you wanted to drop in here, Danielle? I don't think I do. All right, I'm I'm tapped for knowledge too. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us again. And if you're uh, if you're planning on on incorporating downtime activities into your game, best of luck to you. Let us know how it goes and where you had success and where you may have may have had some challenges. Um, but until next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.